Well, we are fresh off of Valentine's Day this week, a day that gives us a reason to pause and to uh, remember the people we love, the people who love us, a day that gives us a reason to eat chocolates that are sometimes here, yeah. uh, a day where love takes the shape of Valentine hearts and bouquets of roses. We've been taking the last three Sundays here to give love some love. Um, because the love that comes from God, the love we see in the person and work of Jesus Christ, is the most powerful, beautiful force in the universe. And sometimes we need to, to slow down, to remember, to pause and remember that different kind of love we experience in God and the kind of love that we're called to share and live out with one another kind of reminds me of a coin that's been handled so much that it's been worn smooth and it's hard to remember or tell how much it's worth. We do that with love and we forget just how priceless and how beautiful and how powerful it truly is. So two weeks ago, we talked about the power of loyal love in and through friendship, a love willing to share life together and be present through life's highs and lows, ups and downs. Last week, George preached about the kind of selfless, welcoming love of God that we see in action through Jesus' ministry and how we are called not just to talk about love, but to do love. Today, we conclude this series by looking at how love is supposed to be the very shape of our lives and the thing that shapes our lives the most. Let us pray. God, open our hearts and minds to your word for us this day. We pray that it would take root there, that it would grow us, transform us, that we might live for you and bear fruit for your kingdom. This we pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning comes from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 13. I invite you to listen for God's word. If I speak in tongues of human beings and of angels, but I don't have love, I'm a clanging gong. Or a clashing symbol. If I have the gift of prophecy and I know all the mysteries and everything else, and if I have such complete faith that I can move mountains, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. If I give away everything that I have and hand over my body to feel good about what I've done, but I don't have love, I receive no benefit whatsoever. Love is patient, love is kind, it isn't jealous, it doesn't brag, it isn't arrogant, it isn't rude. It doesn't seek its own advantage. It isn't irritable. It doesn't keep a record of complaints. It isn't happy with injustice, but it is happy with the truth. Love puts up with all things, trusts in all things, hopes for all things, endures all things. Love never fails. As for prophecies, they will be brought to an end. As for tongues, they will stop. As for knowledge, it will be brought to an end. We know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, what is partial will be brought to an end. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, reason like a child, think like a child. But now that I have become a man, I've put an end to childish things. Now we see a reflection in a mirror. Then we will see face to face. Now I know partially, but then I will know completely in the same way that I have been completely known. Now faith, hope, And love remain, these three things, and the greatest of these is love. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. 
Well, when was the last time that you heard this scripture passage? Raise your hand if it was at a wedding. Yeah. If you're like me, it was probably at a wedding. This chapter is arguably one of the most famous scripture passages in all of the New Testament. Uh, it is the scripture passage of, of wedding dresses and suits. Even people who have little or nothing to do with the Christian faith prick up their ears at this passage. It's just so familiar. And while it's nice to read at weddings, and while I've preached several uh, wedding sermons uh, using this passage, in order to really grasp the point, the gravity of this ode to love, we have to understand the context that Paul is addressing. Remember, Paul is an early church missionary uh, preaching and teaching about Jesus and starting new churches. Here, in this letter, Paul is writing to a Corinthian church going through crisis. Going through a crisis. The Corinthians are experiencing deep division and quarreling in their church because they're trying to distinguish or elevate themselves or separate themselves from each other. And they're doing it in several ways. Some are insisting on identifying themselves with a particular teacher of the faith versus another. Like, I'm smarter, I have more wisdom because I learned under this person as opposed to this person. Some are refusing to share communion with others, taking it for themselves first and leaving others out. Some are scorning their neighbor's spiritual gifts while at the same time boasting in their own. Still others are jockeying for recognition within the church. So the problem is caused not by a lack of knowledge about the faith. The problem is is not the lack of spiritual giftedness. The problem is the lack of love. The problem is in the way in which the spiritual knowledge, faith, the spiritual gifts are exercised. It's the shape the knowledge and the gifts take that matters too. Love matters. And so in chapter 13, Paul places love front and center. He begins kind of cleverly by laying out a kind of gallery, a gallery of values or gifts or virtues important to the Corinthians. But he's clever because he uses himself as the hypothetical. If I speak in tongues of angels or of human beings, if I have the gift of of prophecy, remember the Corinthians are super obsessed with spiritual gifts like these. If I know all the mysteries and everything else, if I have faith that can move mountains, remember the Corinthians are very proud of the knowledge and the faith that they were taught. If I give away everything I have and even hand my body over to feel good about what I've done, remember the Corinthians were jockeying for position in the church. If I, says Paul, aka if you Corinthians, if you Corinthians do and have all these things that you say and think are important and valuable and virtuous but don't have love, it's nothing. It's worthless. It's empty. If the most important, supposedly valuable, virtuous parts of their life aren't shaped by love or take the shape of love, it's all worthless. Have you ever been to a gallery at a museum that's trying to tell the story of what's important? I had the chance to take uh, my my oldest son Gabriel to a a Duke game back at the end of last year, and 
um, before the game, we went to the Duke Basketball Museum, and there's a gallery uh, with trophies, national championship trophies, ACC titles, Final Fours. It unmistakably communicates that winning and championships are important to Duke basketball. What would you put in your gallery? What would you put in your own gallery? Your family, your job, your grades, your athletic or musical achievements, maybe some values or virtues that are important to you? What would you put in the church's gallery? Scriptural knowledge, respecting the Bible, music, kids and youth ministry, outreach, small groups. Seems like that would make a nice, beautiful gallery. And yet, as Paul tells us, if any of that does not take the shape of love, if any of that is not shaped by love, then we might as well be looking at a garbage dump. If I'm crushing it at work and making tons of money for my company, if I'm multitasking like a champion at home, if I'm teaching my kids respect and obedience, if I'm making all conference or national honor society, if I'm volunteering, you add to the list. If I, but I do not have love, I'm a clanging gong. All of it is empty and without meaning because it's not taking the shape of love or being shaped by love. If we know all about the Bible and Christian theology, if we can teach anyone about church doctrine and how to follow Jesus, if we start a brand new ministry, if we grew an existing ministry, if we have 10 new families in worship, if we give $10,000 to the local food pantry, if we have to build a bigger building because we're growing so fast, if we experienced an outpouring of God's Holy Spirit, you add to the list, if we, but do not have love, what's the point? It's ultimately without form or, or meaning, without love. It's shallow. It won't last. You see, there is something more powerful than being powerful. There's something more right than being right. There's something more important than being successful or rich or well-liked or biblically literate or doctrinally perfect. Being loving. Love. Love as a way of living and being that's a response to God's love for us. It's not just that we say or do something. It's the way we say or do something that matters so much. Love is not just number one in a top ten of virtues. It's not just a spiritual gift where some people have it and some people don't. It's a state of being for followers of Jesus. So Jesus says, the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Because that's supposed to be the very framework for our lives. It's supposed to give shape to our lives and shape every part of our lives. Love. Our job and the way we carry it out and interact with our coworkers is supposed to take the shape of love and be shaped by love. The way we parent is supposed to take the shape of love and be shaped by love. The way we spend our time and our money is supposed to take the shape of love and be shaped by love. The way we learn and act in school and our teams is supposed to be shaped by love and take the shape of love. The way we interact with our neighbors or those who disagree with us is supposed to take the shape of love and be shaped by love. 
the way we read the Bible and understand doctrine should take the shape of love and be shaped by love. The way we do children's ministry or small group ministry or missions or evangelism is supposed to take the very shape of love and be shaped by love. to pause and go off script here because it's on my heart. I'm afraid, friends, a lot of people, when they see the church, are hearing a clanging gong. We can believe all the right things. We can read the Bible a certain way. We can adhere strictly to our doctrine. But if any of that leads us to become less loving, we're a gong. What we believe should be shaped by love and take the shape of love. It got me thinking this week, I don't know if you all have been following what's happening at Asbury College, where a worship service that was uh, started with, that was uh, with the, the college students there, just continued, it didn't stop, and now people are coming from all over the country um, because this worship service is continuing to go on, and there's a sense of spiritual renewal um, and, and awakening that's happening there. Some people are, are even calling it a, a revival, and as I, as I look at that scene, I think to myself and, and praying, Lord, I hope that this takes the shape of love and is shaped by love, that the, the, the ripple effects from this Whatever you're doing, God, ultimately are love and are loving. The way we carry out our civic duties is supposed to be shaped by love and take the shape of love. Love is the God-given reality that gives shape and energy to every part of our life. It is the shape of a life touched by Jesus. So if love is supposed to be the shape of our life and love is the great shaper of our lives, then what defines it, right? What characterizes it? A square has four equal sides. We know it's a square. What about the shape of love, the shape of a life of love? Well, Paul tells us in verses 4 through 8, where love is the subject of 16 verbs in a row. Love happens in every phrase. It's an active and it's an active thing that never ceases to work, never ceases to, to, to find ways to express itself for the good of others. And it's hard to get that in the English translations, which usually say love is patient or love is kind, but it really should be love shows patience. Love acts with kindness. That's why I love Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of this. Love never gives up. Love cares for others more than self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut. Love doesn't have a swelled head. Love doesn't force itself on others. Isn't always me first. Love doesn't fly off the handle. Doesn't keep score of the sins of others. Love doesn't revel when others grovel. Love takes pleasure in the flowering of truth. Love puts up with anything. Love trusts God always, always looks for for the best. Love never looks back, but keeps going to the end. It's hard to hear that and not think of the person of Jesus, isn't it? And what about ourselves? Can we say that about ourselves and our life? Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. 
Jesus isn't jealous. Jesus doesn't brag. Jesus isn't arrogant. Jesus isn't rude. Jesus doesn't seek his own advantage. Jesus isn't irritable. Jesus doesn't keep a record of wrongs. Jesus isn't happy with injustice, but is happy with the truth. Jesus puts up with all things. Jesus trusts in God, always hopes, keeps going to the end. Because love was the very shape of his life, and love shaped and defined his life and ministry. There was for Jesus an unbreakable connection between fully living and fully loving. Jesus Christ truly lived because Jesus Christ truly loved. Truly living and truly loving are joined at the hip. And so our ability to experience abundant life is tied to our ability to receive and share abundant love. The Jesus kind of love that will last. Remember the Corinthians gallery? Prophecy, speaking in tongues, great spiritual knowledge. Remember your gallery, my gallery, the church's gallery of what's important and what's valued. What, what did we put in there? Paul says that in the end, those things will end. They won't last. You won't see them in the gallery. What will remain? Love and anything shaped by or taking the shape of selfless, godly love. The things we do now in Jesus-shaped love will remain on into God's new creation. When we see face to face, when we see face to face, when we are, when we know completely, when Christ comes again in glory, making all things new, the things we did, the things we said out of Christ-like love will be found to have been wonderfully incorporated into God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. As one hymn says, faith will vanish into sight. Hope be emptied in delight. Love in heaven will shine more bright. Love is the shape of life. Love should shape our life. It's time we give it more love. I'll close with this. I remember uh, part of Bishop Michael Curry's wedding sermon for Prince Harry and Meghan. Some of y'all remember that. It's a really powerful message. In it, towards the end, he referenced Pierre Teilhard de Chardin, a 20th century French Jesuit priest. In some of his writings, Pierre had said that the discovery of, the invention of, the harnessing of fire was one of the greatest scientific technological discoveries in all of human history. Fire made so many things possible. Heat, cooking food and thus sanitizing it and cutting down on the spread of disease. Bronze Age, the Iron Age, the Industrial Revolution, automobiles, airplanes, power in our homes, right? All possible because of fire. And then Deschardins goes on to say that if humanity ever captures the energy of love, it will be the second time in history that we have discovered fire. If humanity ever captures the energy of love, it will be the second time in history that we have discovered fire. Friends, it's time we rediscovered fire again. 
It's time we rediscover real love. His name is Jesus. Our world needs fire. We need fire. We need love. Our world needs love. Our world needs Jesus. We were made by the power of love. We were saved by power of love. And our end is a powerfully loving God. In the meantime, we're being shaped by love to live a love-shaped life. Love is, is different than you'd think. Love is not the shape of a Valentine heart. Oh, no. Actually, love should be the very shape of our lives. May it be so. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. I'm going to do something we don't do every Sunday, but want to do today. Uh, and that is just to open up a space of a few minutes of reflection, silence, prayer. You can stay in your seat. You can come and kneel here. Uh, just being a time of prayer, maybe you you for that fire of God's love in your heart again. Uh, maybe you are having a difficult relationship with someone and you need to ask God to fill your heart with love that you might approach them in a loving way. Maybe you need to ask forgiveness for the ways you haven't been loving. Maybe um, I don't know what this time might, might be, uh, but I know that God calls our lives to be shaped by love and to take the shape of love, uh, and God pours out God's Spirit into our hearts, enabling us and empowering us to be able to live in that wonderfully curious, loving way. Um, so Ben's going to play some music in the, back, uh, the background and, and just invite you to, to pray as God, God leads you uh, for the kind of love you need today, for the kind of love you need God to help you show.